It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. without white folks and be able to raise the question what is it that we're going to do independent of white people it is very very hard for us to envision a world without white people but we cannot create our own agenda until and unless we can define an agenda that can envision a world in which they don't exist now we have to wake up and come back to the reality of them but certainly when we talk about a future, we have to talk about a future from our point of view and our historical understanding of reality. Habara Dunn, Salbona, Yimhotep, Ketipu, Ndamanesh, Ndamanah, Majro, Nagadef, Anisogoma, Peace, War, Pan-African Greetings family, this is your host, Kamal Makasi Tahuti, and you've entered Africa's Reascension. As usual, we will start off our show with an apae or a libation, which deliberately calls upon the energies of our African gods, our African spirit forces, and the forces of those yet born to guide and bless this endeavor. I go, I go, I go. Inyame, inyame wa, onamakuma, shridiapon, mawulisa, amen ra, olobrun, beje insa, asasiya insa, abasun insa, abasun po insa, nana surgibi insa, nana esiketwa insa, nana kofi insa. Theoretical and practical information 
So those listening can use it for their own transformation back into the sovereign Africans we once were. May I speak directly to their soon soon, their spirit, their ori, their spiritual head, and their ab, the heart, which for Kemet was the seat of intelligence. And may these words awaken the long, dormant, and asleep African inside of them. Adasipa, Adasibio, Mo Piafo, Mo Nekasa, Medasi Nanano, Yo Medasi Nanano. The Pai, or libation, is an ancient practice that is still done to this nanosect in all rural traditional areas throughout the continent. Past, present, and future become one as those of tomorrow. Look upon what we are doing now and drawing strength from and doing the rituals of yesterday. So, again, I want to welcome everybody. Hotep Sun Nubian, the BB Fahodi ADU as well. Uh, Africa's Reascension, Kamal Mukasey Tahuti. Uh, hopefully, we've got an interesting show today. Uh, but before we get into that, Um, Please click all of the ads on the main show page. It helps out with a program I'm in with Blog Talk. Uh, I finally paid some dividends after most of the year. Uh, Some other good Blog Talk shows that are out there, Pan-Africanism or Parish by Taj Malik, usually on Thursday nights, but just go to Pan-Africanism or Paris or type in Taj, T-A-J-M-A-L-I-K, and then just follow the show. Uh, So when he does do a new show, you can follow it and be all up on um, Pan-Africanism or Paris, a very, 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 very good show. Queen Ifama, I-F-A-M-A, the truth terrorist, She's on Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern. That's right before this one. Uh, raw, butt-naked, uncut, uncensored um, truth is the queen season. So, again, check her out, Queen Ifama, I-F-A-M-A, the truth terrorist, Sundays at 7, right before Africa's reascension. And then um, one other good blog talk show here, Sister Ia Ajua. I-Y-A, and then A-D-J-U-A, and her show, Wahimi Metsu, Cultural Rebirth Connection. She's usually on Wednesdays around 4, maybe 4.30, but again, just um, type in I-Y-A, A-D-J-U-A, and Blog Talk Search, her show page, you pull up, and then click Follow, and you'll be kept abreast of all of her shows, and when she's on and things like that. Usually it's Wednesdays, 4 or 4.30, but if you follow it, then you won't miss it. Ia Ajua Wahimi Masu Cultural Rebirth Connection. And then to tie in with the huge announcement from uh, two weeks ago, if you like a copy of my book, if you want a one-stop shop for all things um, African-centered, check out AfricanWorldAnalysis.com, and that's African with a K, and that's all one word, AfricanWorldAnalysis.com. 
since 2002 with uh, two breaks in between. Um, I've been doing a newsletter, basically. Started out at eight pages, now it's at least 32 pages. Uh, and it's just straight up, raw, African-centered analysis, uh, dealing with all different types of topics. When Liberia was thinking about bringing in the um, AFRICOM in their area, had to do an article on that. Liberia, what the hell are you doing? Uh, We've got two issues for free on there as well. Uh, Very, very... uh, truth-telling article that's breaking down what the African way is and all this African talk that we do, the free issue number 28 helps lay out what that is. Um, And then you can use that in conjunction with the five shows we did on the African way or in Yama and Sheshe paradigm or standards of being African. And and with those those shows and that particular news journal, you, you have a good understanding of right now what the African way is, and then now then it's up to us to use it and make it applicable for our everyday life. But a lot of good stuff in there, and in November I'll start getting some of the other issues up right now on AfricanWorldAnalysis.com. It's just um, issue 31 to issue 20, and so in the upcoming month, and definitely before the yeah, yeah. within November, we'll definitely get um, most of the other ones up as well, issues 19 through 11, and um, issues 10 through 2. It may take a while to get issue 1 up there. But anyway, um, check that out. Check that out. A few folks have checked it out. Now go ahead um purchase some of the journals and have the information for yourself so then you can use it for your personal and collective benefit as well. Again, African World Analysis. With AfricanWithAK.com. And there you have the link to our YouTube page of Africa's Reascension. You've got the link that links you back over here to Blog Talk. Then it has the link um, to my book, How to Make a Negro Christian. So it's all right there in one spot. Again, AfricanWorldAnalysis.com. Check it out. So, yeah. Um, Last week there wasn't a show because it was my birthday weekend and I went up to New York to deal with some of those, uh, to deal with some of the stuff that was happening up there. And it was a very uh, refreshing and worthwhile trip. I did get a chance to go up to um, Schoenberg Center. And for about an hour I had a chance to be face-to-face with one of the um, boxes within the John Hendrick Clark collection up there. Um, I specifically want to look at his uh, course outline and lecture notes. And man, oh man, when I got that box and opened up the box, I swear white and black doves flew out and I heard hunk music and it was just like, wow, it's the information lotto. <laughs> when I was looking through that box. So, um, not only is the information in there, you know, for personal edification, but it, it, for us hopeful planners and architects 
of this African thing we're talking about, we need to, for folks who are in the area, you know, we all need to be up in Schoenberg and in some of those collections and looking at what folks have left behind and what they've done so we can duplicate the good things that they did take the good things that they did to the next level and then, you know, sidestep some of the bad things that they did. I mean, but that it was a very, very good New York trip. Uh, got a chance to go to one of the lectures up there at African Poetry Theater over in um, Queens. And uh, Dr. Jeffries, Camille Yarborough, the um, actress, uh, Umar Abdullah Johnson, uh, UNIA uh, Education Committee Chair, and uh, I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, duh. And uh, Brother Kamal Cambon. Husband of Maria Cambon and father, father of uh, Obadiah Cambon. Uh, yeah, he was on the panel as well, and it was doing with Nat Turner. And I got there late, so I missed the major presentation, but I did hear um, the Q and A, which I liked. It was a long Q and A to let folks, you know, to have some questions, address address certain concerns and stuff. Um, and I will say that now we know that that, that Dr. Jeffries, Leonard Jeffries, uh, was tripping about two years ago when he was on the pro-Obama side at one of the great Harlem debates. Um, and so while I didn't get a chance to ask him a direct question, in him responding to another question, he made some comments that sounded like he had finally come to his damn senses <laughs> and backed off of um, that position, backed off of um, backing Obama. Um, and so that that was good. That 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 sort of uh, put me back at peace. Uh, because, you know, a lot of folks really, really like Little Jeffries. I, I like them, you know, myself. But then I was just totally floored to see that he was trying to make an argument for Obama when he first got elected. And right when it first came out, I went, the memory took me back to uh, Amos Wilson, I think, in uh, Blueprint for Black Power. But maybe it's falsification. He makes the statement that some people have some of our people have an easier time deciphering Egyptian hieroglyphics than they can in deciphering the current political um, state that we're in and the solutions that we need to be moving towards. And so, yeah, and hearing Mr. Jeffries, Dr. Jeffries backing Obama, I was like, oh, okay, you can break down all this other stuff, Dr. Shea, but you, 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 you slip in here in this, you're not using your own systems analysis, your VIP process in, 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 in understanding Obama. But it seems like possibly, possibly he came at that talk 
and otherwise. Um, but yeah, yeah, overall it was a good trip and I definitely have to get back up to um Schoenberg Center so I can spend more time in the Dr. Clark box because we gotta we gotta make stuff real. We have to reapply, reawaken some things, um, dust off the, the cobwebs of of time, make them applicable to present day, and move forward, y'all. So in moving forward, after the break, we will jump right into it. Uh, I'm looking at a bag full of books that I bought when I went to um, Human, H-U-E, M-A-N book up in, is that, I think that was, as you can see, I'm not a native New Yorker, so I'm getting all the boroughs squared away, you know, so someone's in the chat or <laughs> know the boroughs better than I do, but I think you man was in Brooklyn, that's right, no, yeah, yeah, right off of 125th Street, uh, uh, off of uh, Adam Clayton Powell No, Frederick Douglass Boulevard And so I got a bag of books from there And then there's also um, Some other Interesting books Some good, some crap That will be coming out And I'm going to spend a little bit of time On one of the crap books Because now that I know what it is I'm like, oh, hell, this book is going to mess us up if we really listen to it. Um, so, with that in mind, play a promo and some music and come back and get into this book talk. This is Africa's Reascension. This is Kamal McCasey Tahuti. And I've noticed that I've been forgetting to mention this more on a regular. So if you would like to call in and share your thoughts, the number seven six zero four five four one 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 seven six zero four five four one 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 one. After you call in, hit one on the keypad, you'll be put into the caller's queue and I'll see a little hand show up. And then once I notice it, because I'll be bouncing around on different pages, uh, shut up and get you in and let you add in what you would like to add to the reascension of Africa's worldwide population. Again, 760-454-1111. Back after the break. Africa's reascension. Kamal McCasey Tahuti. As of this moment... We are at war. Blogtalkradio.com slash Kamau 301. K-A-M-A-U 301. 760-454-1111. 760-454-1111. When are we going to, as African people, step up the dialogue? Sundays, 9 p.m. Eastern. Because it's black. An uncompromising, unapologetic, African-centered internet radio show. 
until we reestablish Africa as the preeminent value, none of those other solutions mean a doggone thing. BlogTalkRadio.com slash Kamau301. K-A-M-A-U-301. If you're not about nation building, you're not about African centeredness. 760-454-1111. 760-454-1111. As of this moment, we are at war. There's no evidence that black and white races can live in close proximity to each other in peace. Without, without whites attempting to oppress and exterminate the black. BlogTalkRadio.com slash Kamau301. K-A-M-A-U-301. What kind of God do you wish him? What's the name of it? Who taught you to praise him? Was this the God you were praying to before you were brought to these shores? Is this the religion you had before you were brought to these shores? Can you name one African God? Sundays, 9 p.m. Eastern. BlogTalkRadio.com slash Kamau301. K-A-M-A-U-301. Real clear, alright? The only fucking reason we ever listened to the Nation of Islam because they used that black shit. The only fucking reason we listened to Nation Gods on Earth because they used that black shit. The only reason we listened to the black Hebrews because they used that black shit. The only reason we listened to the black Christian nationalists because they used that black shit. And if we can agree that they all used that black shit, then why not go back to the black shit? That is Word. the mama which is made. That is the point. Why they continue to play games with me? You're using my black shit and covering it up with the bullshit. So all you do is wipe off the bullshit and get you the black shit, which is the only shit. It makes absolutely no sense to go to church. You go to church, you pray. You dance and you sing. You go to a white church, you sit there like a fucking monk. The difference between the white church and the black church is the black shit. So why not just go back to the black shit? Go to the most high point of anything. Go home before you was corrupted. It is a clear time frame reference where the only people on the planet were those black people. There was no Islam. There was no Judaism. There was no lessons. There was no gods on earth. There was no word for God. Just original people vibing with each other. Soul, soul, son, being. So I'm not mad if you continue to use my black stuff, but don't get mad at me because I refuse to be tricked. Give me the uncut thing. Okay? I said this before. If you're going to get high for cocaine, don't sniff the scramble. Get the raw shit. Alright? If you're going to practice spirituality, get the raw shit. Stop dealing with the cut. Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Nation of God on Earth, West Muhammad, they all deal with the cut. Uh-huh. 
Plain and simple. It ain't even hard to see. It's very, very simple. So I'm not trying to advocate or even say, well, they're using this. Well, if they're using that, why don't they go back to the stuff they claim they use? If, if they use that in, in their literature, right, and they say it's right and exact, then why not go back to the point of origin of the things that they claim is right and exact? If you're going to use uh, Timbuktu, if you're going to use uh, ancient African science, if you're going to use the pyramids and say, yeah, but if you created that, right, you already know if we take anything you're talking about, then why not go back to that? That is the fundamental difference. I refuse to stay in mediocrity. I refuse to be conquered by religion. You're conquered by religion if you're trying to explain to me that the brothers are talking about the black stuff, but they're still Muslims. They're conquered by religion. With the first thing that ever walked upright, with the first people that ever thought about reading and writing, philosophical thought, mathematics, science. You cannot defeat your enemy with the cut. He will wash your cut ass away. That's why I say what I say. Because it's black African power, not black Christian, Muslim, Hebrew, Gaza Earth power. That is no power. That's called lack of power. And you're suffering from post-traumatic slave syndrome. Inferiority complex those brothers have. If you're Muslim and you're black Muslim, you're suffering from an inferiority complex. If you're Christian and you're black Christian, you're suffering from an inferiority complex. If you're nation gods on earth, you're suffering from an inferiority complex because you're saying that some people came in and gave you something and now you accept it, meaning your system was inferior to what was brought into you. And I refuse to do that. And I love that quote. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a promo for the show. And then for folks who are, are regular blog talk people, that was Brother Aunt from the Amara Squad, just breaking down identity unlike anybody I've heard <laughs> in raw, uncut <laughs> fashion. Uh, maybe I, sorry if y'all had y'all kids around, <laughs> I should have given y'all a warning, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> deal with the raw stuff, don't deal with the scramble, but anyway. <laughs> And, 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 and somebody has suggested, you know, that I should, like, you know, edit that clip a little bit, you know, get rid of the drug reference. But I'm like, he ain't advocating taking it. He's saying, hey, he, he's, there's a larger point there. You know how they say how how it's it, – as long as there's a message behind it, then – you, 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 you go with what's going on as long as the message is clear for everyone. And so for me and for a lot of other folks, uh, they may quibble with one of his examples that he used, but the message that he talks about comes through loud and clear. And that's for regular listeners here, you know that's a frequent message here on Africa's Reascension. Come back home. And that'll tie in with some of these books. 
So, yeah, like I said, tonight, just after Center Book Talk, we'll go over a few new books coming out, some good ones like Deadly Monopolies um, by Dr. Harriet Washington, author of Medical Apartheid, um, as well as some total craftastic books like Life Upon These Shores by Skippy Gates. Uh, we'll discuss some good older books I picked up from human, like I said, um, Arms Struggle in Africa, an Afrocentric Perspective on History and Others. And then we conclude from the show page, we're attempting to add to your own personal knowledge base because with better information, we hope will lead to better choices for the African populace. Um, let me go ahead and go on record now and say I am not a major advocate of meeting the people where they are. I understand it as a tactic. I understand using it at times. What irks the expletive out of me is that I hear it over and over and over again. And I think I hear it a lot from folks who have just basically given up and so that's the best thing that they can come with. Oh, well, we just got to meet the people where they are. <sighs> a reason why I'm not an advocate for it is because how do you ever get the people to where you and others feel they need to be if you only deal with where they are? Here at Africa's Reascension, You are met where you are if here, if you are already at least at an intermediate level of, of understanding this African reality that we're talking about. Um, a lot of the stuff that we talk about will probably flow over your head if you're still, if, if you just got finished reading your first book was George G.M.J. Stolen Legacy. Your first book two weeks ago was Now Valley Contribution Civilization by Tony Browning. Uh, we still want you to come. We still want you to listen to Africa's Reascension. Um, but as we said, you know, on the show page from the very, very first show a year and a half ago, I set this up deliberately to be an intermediate and possibly advanced show. So, one, a, a lot of the arguing, like I'm sure some folks wonder, why don't I recommend some of the other shows that are on Blog Talk? Um, I mean, I even listen to them, and some of y'all see me up in the chat rooms and stuff. I don't recommend them because there's too much confusion in most of those shows. Um, yeah, there's too much confusion. I do not see the ability to build anything from the consciousness that is left with at some of those shows. And I strongly feel if you go through every single episode of Africa's Reascension and take it too hard, you personally will be in a better position to um, transform your own life, back to the um, sovereign African we once were, but you will also be able to, if you hook up with other folks 
who've been doing this about 15, 18 years like I have, that then you'll be in a better position to hook up with them and then, boom, be able to just hit the ground running. There won't be a lot of um, rework that will need to be done, for lack of a better phrase, because both both of y'all or all of the folks involved will be coming at least from the same area of information, coming from this, a generally same knowledge base, and they'll be able to move forward. With some of these other shows, it's just too, too, too much confusion, arguing, bickering, blah, 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 that sort of stuff. So we stay away from that, and we tailor, we attempt to, we hope to, tailor our discussions and things like that on a different level. Giving you, if nothing else, Africa's Reascension would like to give you a different type of blog talk experience. Period. Information that you can use, books that you would want to go out and buy, books that you would want to run the other way from, you know, stuff like that. That's what we're here to do. Transforming the individual, transforming the community, and then <clears throat> transforming the race and the nation and the Sankofa mind, the world community. That's our goal here. It's one of our goals. Now, we got so many books here. I think I'm going to save the crappiest of the craptastic books for closer to last. And then I'll have to monitor my time because <laughs> I got a lot to say about that. And I also reserve the right to <laughs> have future conversations about any one of these books because, again, I just got them, so I've looked through them. And, um, you know, I've just looked through them. I haven't read them from cover to cover yet. Um, so I reserve the right to come back in a later show and, and dig more deeply into any of the books that we share today, if need be, or if you all will want it. Maybe I go through a book, i tell you where I got Like, let's say I go through one particular book that intrigues 10 of y'all, and, and, and five of y'all are in New York, so y'all run up to Human and get it, and then you get the books for the other five folks. And so all ten of y'all decide y'all want to read the same book because y'all heard it here. And so then somebody shoot me an email. It's like, hey, I'd love to have get your thoughts on this particular passage or I ain't understand this, or can we have, you know, a larger book talk about this particular book? Let's call in or we'll come into the chat room and, you know, I'm down for that, too. I'm very, very down for that. Uh, I mean, we are going to have certain shows, multiple shows, where we're going through a particular book um, chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, if need be, to get certain stuff out there. So uh, either on my impetus or... Um, the listeners, you guys, impetus. Uh, we we can and will have future shows about some of these books mentioned. So, um, the first book that I just grabbed, that, and I did find, I did see that it is out now. It is out. 
It's hardback, 28 bucks. Deadly Monopoly by um, Dr. Harriet Washington, who did uh, Medical Apartheid. And the subtitle, The Shocking Corporate Takeover of Life Itself and the Consequences for Your Health and Our Medical Future. What it says on the back, do you think your body is your own to control and dispose of as you wish? Think again. As Harriet Washington reveals in Deadly Monopolies, human life itself is rapidly becoming a wholly owned subsidiary of the medical industrial complex. The U.S. Patents Office has granted patents on more than 40,000, yes, you heard that number right, 40,000K, 40,000 genes or DNA sequences, and more are pending. Caucasoids are getting patents on DNA sequences, y'all. She continues, if you undergo surgery in many hospitals, you must sign away ownership rights to your excised tissue, even if they turn out to have medical and fiscal value. As drug research and development becomes increasingly privatized and reliant on patents, pharmaceutical companies determine the creation of and access to vital medications based not on need, but on potential profits. Deadly Monopolies is a powerful, disturbing, and deeply researched book that illuminates this gold rush and its harmful, even lethal, consequences for public health. It examines the shaky legal, ethical, and social evidence behind the pharmaceutical industry's arguments for restrictive patents, while they claim that patents are necessary to protect investments in new drugs and treatments, this book explores how they stifle the research, stifle competition, and stifle innovations that drives down costs and saves lives. And then it continues. I was reading from the back. So, Deadly Monopolies by Dr. Harriet Washington. Now, I finally shared this with somebody else yesterday or two days ago. I want to share it with the AR crowd, the Africa's Research and Crowd here. So when medical apartheid first came out, and I looked at it, I was like, whoa. <laughs> wow, okay. We might have to put this sister under protective services. <laughs> She's letting it out. Um, then, you know, C-SPAN, Carter, when she did a few talks. But the book never really, really took off. And then one Caucasoid even tried to um, quibble with some of her stuff in one of the New York Times reviews of her book or whatever, whatnot. I mean, almost everybody is going to make some type of errors in their books, especially if, if it it entails a lot of research and stuff is changing all the time or whatever, whatnot. But if there were any errors that she made in medical apartheid, I still don't think that throws away the premise of what she was trying to get at in that book. 
that Cosmozoids have been experimenting and are experimenting on black people since the 1900s, since even earlier than that, and it has not really stopped. And she lays that out beautifully in Medical Apartheid, as well as other, you know, subtopics that she talks about. But, like I said, it never really caught on. Like, I, I, I personally hoped <laughs> that it would. Now, the book that did catch on, and I mean everybody, their mama, their best friend, their nephew, their cousin, their aunt, their they dog, picked up The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, written by a Caucasoid, which focused on one person. Now, for folks that don't know, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, Caucasoids basically took some of her cells or some of her stem cells or whatever without her knowing it, um, created different fields of research and, 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 and innovation off of um, what they took from her and didn't let her know and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's saddening that that happened, and it sucks that that happened, and, and I, I doubt if it has stopped. But when I compare Henrietta Lack's book to Medical Apartheid book, I think I came up with a theory on why a whole, whole, whole lot of white folks and quite a few black folks ran to, to get that book versus Medical Apartheid. Medical Apartheid, with research, with, with you know, details and everything, throws the entire caucasoid pharmaceutical industry under the bus. And and in this new one, uh, Daily Monopoly, it seems like she's um, continuing to do that, throwing the entire industry under the bus. Folks were able to latch on to the Henrietta Lacks book a bit more because it did not fully castigate the entire pharmaceutical industry. It tried to just focus on those few individuals that, that the, 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 the lead doctor and, and the lead nurse and all that sort of stuff and taking the cells and doing the research and stuff. And it, it, it was wrapped around the personal one-on-one story and you learn all this stuff about Henrietta and what she had been through and all that sort of stuff. And and it made you focus on one person versus, no, it made you focus on one person, which cognizoids love to do anyway. They are an atomistic, A-T-O-M, atomized, that's what I'm looking for, atomized individualistic society. It's hard for them to understand larger societal issues. They always just want to say, oh, that one individual is bad. Those two people are rogue people, but the system is fine, all this sort of stuff. So folks gravitated to a book that focused on the individual and individuals, and our folks too, which is a damn shame of it, and sidestepped and moved away from and didn't fully get into medical apartheid, which which 
wholly sweepingly, again, through data that you can go back and check into, um, the pharmaceutical industries and medical apartheid are now in deadly monopoly. I think it's a damn shame. I think you should read both books. If 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 you gotta, yeah, read both of them. Or now I guess with Dead and Monopolies, read all three of them. But for me, I'm like, if you got the bigger message with their medical apartheid, then you wouldn't have had to have read in red light. Unless you just wanted to, you know, get closer in touch with that personal story and that family trauma that had to go through with the Lax family and stuff like that. But if you just wanted to know about the nefarious doings of the pharmaceutical industry, especially in dealing with um, non-coxazoid people, then Medical Apartheid was that book and is that book. And um, it looks like Deadly Monopolies is going to follow in that footstep, follow in those footsteps. And so, again, it's just a bit telling how our own brainwashing is, has taken effect on us. Uh, I would, I, you know, because I work at a bookstore. And so I just wish I could say that, that medical apartheid was flying off the shelves, but it wasn't. I wish I could say medical apartheid was the subject of book groups all throughout <laughs> the city, but it wasn't. But the immortal life of Henry and Lax was. And again, I'm not saying anything fully <laughs> disparaging about that book. Besides the fact that it's written by Hunter. But um but it just goes to show that that We still have hope, unfounded hope in America. And for black folks, it's a lot easier to castigate a few individuals than to properly and rightly castigate <laughs> and, and, and critique entire industries, even when those entire industries have not been in our benefit. So that's just my little theory, but yeah. Deadly Monopolies, it is out now, hardback, 28 bucks by Dr. Harriet Washington. You want to check it out. Uh, it's going to be a disturbing read, but it's, um, and this is like direct information because, you know, we get, have to get caught up in the medical industry for whatever reason, you know. This is some type of stuff that you would need to know. This would be some type of stuff that you would need to know. You must sign away ownership rights up to your excise tissue, even if they turn out to have medical or physical value. The hell? <laughs> but, yeah, so Deadly Monopolies, check that out. Turning to, okay, no, on the, on the other side, it won't get a five-star endorsement, but the new 
head of the Schoenberg Institute in New York, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, has got a book out called The Condemnation of Blackness, Race, Crime, and the Making of Modern Urban America. Harvard University Press, I want to say it's about 25, 26 bucks, and it came out as paperback. So it came straight to paperback. I didn't see. I'm pretty sure it came straight to, straight to paperback. But um, I was looking through this one, and to be quite honest, the condemnation of blackness, the new Jim Crow, what's the other book? There's, there's one other, not one from other sons, it's, ah, it'll come to me. There has been, over the past two years, there's been um, a little rush of books being printed that, that, that black folks have, well, a certain grouping of black folks have jumped up and down over. And, and uh, like I say, one of them was The New Jim Crow by uh, Michelle Alexander. Uh, and oh, this other one that's But while I'm lumping them together, is because I'm lumping them together because if folks never fell or the trick that America had changed, if we had never fallen for the trick that we were going to be seen as equal, treated equally, treated fairly, all that sort of stuff, then these books wouldn't get the play that they get because it's stuff we should have already known. The new Jim Crow, when I looked through that book, I'm like, there is nothing really new in this book. They're locking us up. The numbers have went through the roof. They're locking the sisters up. Crazy numbers. Reducing the black population, you know, by throwing us in jail. And it hasn't changed. Okay. You're not telling me nothing new. Condemnation of blackness. How white America used um, crime statistics and linked those with race to be able to castigate an entire group of stolen Africans in America. But if they can, you know, looking at the crime statistics, breaking them down by race, and then being able to say that, well, you see, black folks are innately criminals. Black folks have been, you know, uh, robbing and killing and all that sort of stuff all the time. And here's the numbers. See, we got the numbers for it. I mean, there's more in condemning the combination of blackness, but that's the overall gist of it. 
the using, and then he talks about how, you know, the crime statistics over time had even been manipulated to where at first it was black folks and immigrants, and so then they eventually redefined immigrants and just left black folks as, as, as an indicator you could pull out and look at and then, you know, again, call us criminal and criminal by nature and stuff like that. And this other book, it's, it's going to irk me now that I can't think of this other book. It was written by a white boy. Um, oh, why can't I think of this book? Anyway, but, um, but yeah, so there is, so, so Condemnation of Blackness, uh, The New Jim Crow, You had two books talking about migrations. You had the the, the, the Congozoid, Ira Berlin, The Making of African America. Then, of course, you had um, the Wilkerson book on um, the Wolf of Other Sons. Um, I'm trying to look around. <laughs> this is bad. You know, when stuff just comes to you while you're talking, because I'd have been prepared, I'd have had it out and everything, but. Oh, I cannot. Okay. Anyway, I'm gonna give up. But um, it's stuff that we should have known. If we would have never bought into all those lies that they told us in the '70s, especially, then the new Jim Crow wouldn't be getting the play that it was getting, and and this condemnation of blackness. I don't, I don't know how much play it's gonna get. It just came out, but it's stuff. You got, look, I mentioned him last two weeks ago, and Eugene Robinson got his book, Disintegration. A whole bunch of folks are writing books based off of stuff that we should already know. And none of them talk about solutions. Or or when they do talk about solutions, they, they it's never cultural. It, it, it's never, you know, changing, getting better information into the knowledge base. It's never nation building. It's never none of that. It's um, crazy that you get what, what a Todd Burrow. He he did one called Brainwashing that a few folks, you know, are like, oh wow, this is a really good book. I'm looking through it. I'm like, brainwashed. Okay, yes, they they've done it. <laughs> It was, the, the, the brainwashing started the, on the first stolen African they put on the boat in 1442, and it hasn't stopped. So folks are writing books for a paycheck, and they don't really give a damn about solutions, and I don't think they, I'm pretty sure they don't have any solutions outside of, you know, writing congressmen and going to march and all the tired, tried and tired and failed stuff that we have done. And so folks are getting paid, recasting the problem for a different generation because we don't have our memory, because we don't know our history, our proper history. Um and I'm specifically using the phrase memory 
um, because I was listening to a piece from um, Dr. Dr. Kamati Carr, and he kept coming back to uh, memory. You can only make certain statements. You can only do certain things. Like, like in the, the, the get started, somebody would, had made the connection, made the fallacious connection of the Hoopita Boys to Obama. And and the radio hosts, you know, hearing that nonsense sort of went off. <laughs> and so Dr. Carr was commenting on him going off. And, and basically he was like, somebody could only make that statement if they don't have their memory, their African memory. And so a lot of these books that folks are running to and thinking they're the best thing since um, iPhone 4S <laughs> is they don't have a memory. They don't know our history. It's, they, 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 they never went to look. And so now they're getting this, and it's still sanitized. I would put together, I would put side by side um, falsification of African with um, New Jim Crow any day. I know they're talking about two different things as far as she just focused on us being locked in prison and Amos is, you know how Amos is. But just in the sense of stuff that we should already be knowing and uh, moving us forward, I feel Amos does a lot, lot better job than that than uh, some of these other new books that folks are jumping all up and down over. So, so yeah, a long way away to say condemnation of blackness, um, borrowed from a library or something like that, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, the new um, director of the Schoenberg Center, that's his book. Yeah. Digging into my bag... And seeing that we only got an hour left, I need to speed this up. Man, if y'all in New York, anywhere close to New York, you got friends in New York, <laughs> y'all need to hit up Human Books. I was not expecting to walk away with about 20 books for $40. Uh, and, and, and not fluff books, you know, not just stuff that I already had, maybe I want to do a promotion to give them away or, or, you know, something like, no, good stuff, good, good stuff. The first one that leaped off at me, and I had to get it, I don't care how much it costs, there's a book called that I got called Maroon Heritage, Archaeological, Ethnographic, and Historical Perspectives, edited by E. Kofi Agorsa, Maroon Heritage. Now, again, for frequent listeners of the show, you know that's what we're about here, um, trying to better understand the Maroons all throughout wherever they were and, and figuring out how they did, what they did, um, so we can attempt to reduplicate some of that and, and, and move farther along in what we're trying to do. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, the only group to get complete sovereignty, to fully break away from Caucasus was not the nation, 
was not Garvey, was not the Moors, was not uh, Lobaju Ali, was not none of them, not Panthers, none of them. The only group in our history to fully break away from Caucasoid society and Caucasoid reality and 100% set up their own thing were the Maroon communities. And the reason, and, and, and it's deliberate that every single black studies department across the nation does not have uh, whole entire classes set up dealing with the maroon. That's that, that's not deliberate, and it's not it, it's not by accident that we don't have that. You may have you know, a few classes here and there throughout the country. But, I mean, that should be something that is on our lips 357. You know what I'm saying? How did the Maroons do it? Specifics, all that sort of stuff. And so this one looks very, very good. Background to Maroon heritage, uh, the true traditions of my ancestors, uh, Acapone Maroons in Jamaica. Acapone is is a group from Ghana, so I guess there was some. We've we've been able to see that there's some uh, folks who were taken from Ghana and put into in Jamaica via enslavement, and so they became a maroon community that's there. Uh, maroon culture as a distinct variant of Jamaican culture. I'm just going through the table of contents. Uh, maroons and rebels. A dilemma That might be an interesting chapter um, Because again We have to remember in, in, in being honest Fully honest about our history That's why I usually say The more successful maroon communities Because we had a lot of maroon communities But there were more some that were more successful Than others And usually the ones that were the most successful At least from my research Are the ones that Didn't, in, didn't um, sign, sign any treaties With Caucasoid and they did not allow allow um, foreign ideologies to come back into the maroon community. So if you just felt that you had to have your Jesus, there may be another maroon community for you, but you're not coming up in this one. If you just feel that you're going to die if you don't have Allah, there may be another maroon community for you, but you can't come up in this one. And, and time and time again, those communities that called themselves maroon, that let that Christian mentality in, that let that that that, that Islamic mentality in, that let just the, the foreign ideological system in to the community and, and, and set up camp, they failed. They got ran up in. Um, they may have signed some treaties, and, of course, before the ink could dry, the Caucasoids was there to take them over and get them back on the plantation, all that sort of stuff. Um, or they imploded from within because the values of those Christians, those Muslims, those folks who were wedded to European thought, unfortunately, uh, yeah, undermined the, the, the maroon communities that were set up. So the successful one, Palmares, in 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 Haiti, you 
called in on the rural community, you know, they eventually, the, the, the Haitian Rebellion, uh, Nanny Town in, in Jamaica, Saramanca in Suriname, Kalagishi uh, people in the southern region of the United States. Those are the more successful ones, and we really need more study. I could, I could say that over and over. We really need more study into them and how they did it. Maroon Heritage in Mexico, um, Resistant Science. Now, I just like that title, Resistant Science, Afrocentric Ideology in Vic Reed's Nanny Town, uh, in Vic Reed's Nanny Town, uh, Nanny Palmares and the Caribbean Maroon Connection. That sounds like a good chapter. Um, characteristics of maroon music from Jamaica and Suriname. Maroon warfare. The Jamaican. You see the eyes. Oof. It, <laughs> see if we can see see if more copies of this book are available, y'all. Um, and archaeology of maroon settlements in Jamaica. So again, um, this looks like it's going to be a real, real good book. And very soon, hopefully, I will get into this. Uh, Maroon Heritage is titled Archaeological, Ethnographic, and Historical Perspectives, edited by E. Kofi Agorsa, A-G-O-R-S-A-H. And, and, and it's a collection. I guess it was a talk. It was a... a, a, a um, the papers published in this volume had their origin in a conference on maroon heritage held at the University of West Indies, um, 18th and 19th of October, 1991. So for other folks that have interest in the maroon, in their history, it really looks like you want to add this book to your collection, Maroon Heritage by... Um, A-G-O-R-S-A-H See if Amazon got it Or I think this was the only copy of Human So they won't have it there Because I got it there Another potentially good book Again, I don't know About this one But just the title and looking through it Sounded sort of interesting It's called Ujima Villages in Tanzania, Analysis of a Social Experiment by uh, Michael von Freyholt. So, obviously, it sounds like a consort. But what, 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 what made me go ahead and get this book, one, is they had a whole bunch of Two, it was only a dollar. But three, actually, those are two and three. The number one reason why I went ahead and got this book is because Ujima, we, we we know what that is. This is, this book seems like when in Yere, in Ray Ray, yeah Yere, Ray yeah. when he took control of Tanzania. Well, let me go ahead and read this. After five months after the official end of colonial rule in Tanzania in April 1962, the chairman of the ruling party, Julius Nyerere, issued a pamphlet called Ujamaa, the Basis of African Socialism, which is to define
define the political philosophy of the new state. In somewhat general terms, he reaffirmed the commitment of the ruling party, Tanu, to the principles of human equality and urged a return to traditional values according to which everyone had a right to be respected, blah, blah, blah. And so this book is possibly, potentially, um, what he was trying to set up. Now, we know his brand of socialism failed in Tanzania, which is a shame. His call to return to traditions, that was pretty good, and that still has some carryover even to this day with certain things that they're doing. But this particular book, Ujamaa Villages in Tanzania, Analysis of a Social Experiment, is, again, human had a whole bunch of these books. So with the idea that I mentioned earlier, if 10 folks listening knew somebody in New York and they called them up and they're like, hey, get us some copies of this book, I'm thinking this is the type of book that we could sit down and have an action study group with to see how they were able to set up those villages and see if there's any lessons in there that we can take because we're talking about nation building over here too, right? Well, y'all listening to Africa's reascension, we are. Everyone isn't, unfortunately, but we are. And ideas on what the parts of that nation will look like, it's possible that, you know, some of that skeleton work could be in this book. I'm not 100% sure, but flipping through it, and the, and the title and everything, I do think it is. And so this may be one of those that we need to go through specifically in mind with what lessons can we take from this book and use them for today, like right now. As far as setting up what we want to set up, it might be in here. Um, Ujamaa Villages in Tanzania by a Michael von Freehold or Freyhold, F-R-E-Y-H-O-L-D. Things that could could potentially be interesting. Because, you know, sometimes here at Africa's Reascension, ah, thanks, Bianca. Gullah Geechee people are mandate. Thank you. Um, Here at Africa's Reascension, hey, what's up, Taj? Sometimes, you know, we we get theoretical and we are heavy into the theory here. Um, But as we say every day in the the Apai, we want to give you um, African-centered theoretical and practical information to to, to move us forward to do what we need to do. And this particular book, Ujamaa Villages in Tanzania, looks like it might be that mix. We read it, get the theory look for practical stuff, and then see how we can apply it. So it's possible. It's a potential. I'm putting it out there to hopefully put a fire under some other folks. Come out, can't do it all. Five's lonesome. <laughs> and one of my best, best people that we was doing some stuff then got up out the country, so <laughs> we need other people to take the lead on certain things, some of the research here. Another disturbing but good book that I picked up, $2. It's an older book. It's called Armed Struggle in Africa, 
subtitle with the gorillas and quote-unquote Portuguese Guinea by, um, I'm assuming, a carcozoid named Gerard Chiland, C-H-A-L-I-A-N-D. Armed struggle in Africa. One reason why this is a, I, I think it's a pretty good, important book, is because it's talking, it, the, the, the largest chapter of the book is, I guess, this this white boy. I'm assuming this white boy. I could be wrong. But um, Gerard, he was able to hook up with um, the quote-unquote guerrilla fighters um, in, in, in Guinea, in Portuguese-controlled Guinea, um, at the time when they were fighting for their independence. And so we are getting some inside information. And so we know what, you know, um, Brother Cabral was trying to do with Guinea. And so now we're getting that inside account of how um, of how they were fighting. And, and it's kind of detailed. It's like, wow. Um, and the cover is just beautiful. Um, it's got a picture with three sisters on the cover in, in mainly traditional attire, and one sister's got a gun in her hand, just, you know, she's like she's ready. <laughs> she's ready to take the hands of anybody who's about to come in this village. And, and, and I, I, just when I saw the cover, I was like, yeah, I got to get this book. Let's see what's in it. Then when I saw what was in it, I was like, okay, this is even, this is real good. Um, now, of course, I'm going through the intro now, and it's um, a bit upsetting, and it's pissing me off how, you know, the data he's looking at in the 60s and in the 70s, how, um, or how, how Guinea was made dependent, how all all of the different exports were being sent to Portugal and none of the monies and stuff was being sent back to where the hell they was getting it from. So it's like ground nuts was one of the main exports for, for, for Guinea. And, and plus the six, from 58, 1958 to 1960, they produced 74,000 tons of groundnuts in the shells. And the percentage of that that went to all the other countries was zero. The percentage of that that went to the other colonies was 004 and the percentage that went to Portugal was 99.96. Um, the, the, the shelled groundnuts, 100% of those, went to Portugal. The um, palm oil that they got out of Africa, 100% of that went to Portugal. And, and, so, and so I'm just going through these numbers, going through these numbers, and I'm like, okay, this is 50 years removed, but folks keep wanting to talk about Africa's independence. If y'all ain't changed this shit up from 50 years ago to today, then y'all not independent. And then when we, and see, I may have to, I may do a show just on this book if for no other reason than to compare and contrast the numbers. Because the numbers haven't changed that much. You can pick a country (laughs) on the continent of Africa. And the numbers have not changed that much as far as what's being exported to 
And it's being exported outside of Africa, but they're getting it from Africa, and then what's coming back, and then how much is being cost, how much the cost is when they sell it back to us, and we, you got the raw stuff from us in the beginning. So, yeah, so the intro was sort of upsetting me. <laughs> but um, I'm waiting to get into, I guess the group is called the Maquis, M-A-Q-U-I, but that's the um, group that, that the author was with and when they was doing their guerrilla fighting. And it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be a very detailed and interesting um Read to get some of those details of how we were fighting um, at that time. And again, hell, see what lessons that we can learn today. So, again, armed struggle in Africa with the guerrillas and quote unquote Portuguese Guinea by Gerard Chiland, C H A L I A N D. Um, again, they had multiple copies of this as well. But you could also, you know, go to ABE books or Libris books and see if they've got them there as well. Um, some stuff looks pretty good here. You get me talking about books and I'll be rambling and rambling. And I got a bag of stuff in 40 minutes and at least 15 of those I got to talk about skipping. Um Two very good books, older books, written by Caucasians about African life that, you know, for folks who do a lot of reading, like I do, you'll see these folks quoted over and over again. And actually, this time, there's a good reason why they're being quoted over and over again in different books, because they actually did some good research and, and, and had a good understanding. It's not perfect. But it was pretty good. The two books are uh, The Religion, Spirituality, and Thought of Traditional Africa by Dominique Zahan, Z-A-H-A-N, and Ritual Cosmos, The Sanctification of Life in African Religions by um, Evan Zwesse, Z-U-E-S-S-E. Both of these books, I remember coming across reading them in libraries, cause I, yeah, and I still do it, but I would just go, if I got a day, a few days to myself, I would go home the library and and go to the Africa section and find the African religion section and comb those sections. And I remember finding both of these books at different times in different libraries and sitting down with them and just being very, very impressed with the um, level of analysis and level of interpretation that these um, Caucasoids brought to the, uh, their interpretation of um, African life and reality. And, again, like I say, it's not perfect. There's still some stuff you can quibble with. But as far as overall, they did a good job. They did a good job. And um, so, yeah, once again, and, again, like I say, all of these may be available a Libris, A L I B R I S, a Libris dot com, A B E books dot com, maybe even Amazon, I don't know. Um if you got to hook up in New York though, go through Human Books and get them because you want to support a black bookstore, right? 
You want to support a black bookstore. Um, so, again, the religion, spirituality, and thought of traditional Africa by Dominique Zahan, Z-A-H-A-N, and Ritual Cosmos, the Sanctification of Life in African Religions by Evan Swesse or Swesse or something like that, Z-U-E-S-S-E. Both of these I would recommend, um, and, and, and again, study groups need to be done on them so then we can piece out the good stuff, the very, very good stuff that's in them, and um, a few things where they may have messed up at. But both of these are very, very good at breaking down African life and African spirituality specifically. Um, now, this one I had to pick up. I already got a copy, but I had to pick it up. I'm sorry. I'm on, I'll figure out a, to do some a good. I'll figure out something good to do with it. Um, but I had to get it because they had it $3.50, The Cultural Unity of Black Africa by Shankar Tejo. Yeah, it's, you know, one of the original older publications of it, so it doesn't have a flashy title. But it does have the intro by Dr. Clark, so that that's worthy enough but right there. Uh, but the Cultural Unity of Black Africa, for all you all that know, is the, one of the quintessential books Early on, I think it was in the 50s or 60s that he was dropping this. Um, the base 59, yeah, when it first came out. This shows the culture unity of black Africa. And, of course, you know, it may have been a, um, what were we looking for? It may have been a, ah. We can quibble over him using black Africa, but, um, uh, Brain just don't want to work all the way with me. Anyway, culturally, cultural unity of Black Africa for folks that want to think that we, as a as humans, are all the same. You need to read this book if you feel that Black folks have never been unified, at least in thought and 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 philosophical, ontological basis. You need to read this book. Um, I mean, it's phenomenal. This is where folks have called it the two cradle theory. You you never hear, and Mama Rimba makes makes this point, you never hear Dr. Joe call it himself the two cradle theory. But other folks have called it the two cradle theory. But this is where you get that from. This is the, the book where he lays out lays it out just very, 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 very well. <laughs> very, very well. So The Culture Unity of Black Africa by uh, Shankar Tejo. Uh, if you don't have it in your library already, you should pick it up. Um, I was just happy to see this for a dollar. Um, Barrel of a Pen, Resistance to Repression in Neo-Colonial Kenya by one of my favorites, Nguyiwa Thiongo. Um, this is one of his old ones from, from yeah, nineteen from the eighties. I think shortly after, or maybe right, yeah, shortly after he got exiled and from Kenya was threatened and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
a time to speak Kamathi on law as a tool of oppression. Mau Mau is coming back to revolutionary significance of October 20th, 1952 in Kenya today. Declaration of war in Kenya. Um, a worker talks to a peasant. Uh, women in cultural work. The fate of Kamirithu, the Kamirithu People's Theater in Kenya. Don't quote me on that. Pronunciation. Detention in neo-colonial Kenya. Freedom of the artists, people's artists versus people's rulers. Writing for peace. National identity and imperialist domination. The crisis of culture in Africa today. And then education for a national culture. Again, he's writing this in the 80s. We still have these. And that, that's okay, so that was the last chapter. But um, practically anything from the movie Wakiyungo you want to get old, new, <laughs> young, old, you want to get it. So when I saw this there, I was like, oh, wow, okay, yeah. So if you don't have Barrel of a Pen by Ngugi Wa Thiongo, T-H-I-O-N-G-O, uh, you want to pick it up. Um, on, if you go to Africa, African world analysis, one of my issues I do is the um, book review edition. I do a whole book review, an in-depth, in-depth book analysis there we go, on Ngui on one of his later books, um, Something Torn and New, talking about an African Renaissance. I emphatically loved that book. Uh, and I did a whole review on it in, in, in one of the issues. And so if you would like to see what I wrote, Check it out, AfricanWorldAnalysis.com. Check it out. I think that's one of the – it is one of the um, $6 issues. But there's, um, I think, three in total in-depth um, book reviews in there. And uh, we also did one on Reinventing Africa by uh, Ife Amadeyume. Magnificent, magnificent book. She hasn't written anything in a while. But yeah, okay. Time is winding down. We got to get to skip. When I saw this book for the price, I had to jump on it. Hardback book. Looks like a university press. Yeah, University Press. It's called Western Education and Political Domination in Africa, a study in critical and dialogical pedagogy by Magnus O. Bassey or Bassey, B-A-S-S-E. What I like so far about this book is he's walking you through the educational system, the Western educational system, and the Western political domination in Africa proper. 
I don't know if we get a lot of a lot of analysis of how the technology was done in Africa proper. I real it, it's like we we get some of it, we get a bit of it, but it's very hard pressed. I'm very hard pressed to think of you know a whole bunch of works that done by us actually that walks you through how the process was done on the continent. And so this book, Table of Contents, you got traditional African education. So, again, remember remember how, how Mama Rimba says, you always have to start off with the African worldview. And I don't know this author, so I, I can't say one way or another if this is an, if it's written from an African-centered perspective or anything, but that would just make sense anyway. If you're about to talk about a book dealing with education and politics in another area and you're about to talk about um, another system of education, another political system in another country, you start off with that country's understanding and definition or and that continent. <laughs> you start off with that area, area. definition of education and politics. And then, once you got that definition in place, then it's a whole lot easier to see how it got moved away from and how it got, you know, twisted and messed all up. So, 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 so Magnum, Magnus, starts it off. He's got a whole, the first chapter after the introduction is traditional African education. Then he moves into Christian missionary slash colonial education in Africa. Next one, Western education and the rise of the educated elites in Africa. Next one, next one, yeah, Western education and political socialization in Africa. Chapter six, educated elites and political domination in Africa. And I see Taj is in the chat room, and I wish they had another copy because I know you would like this book, bro. <laughs> I know you would like this book. Um, chapter 7, Schools in Africa as Sites. Check this title out. Schools in Africa as Sites of Cultural and Structural Inequalities, Disempowerment, Sexism, Domination, and Hegemony. That's a hell of a time <laughs> for a chapter there. Schools in Africa as sites of cultural and structural inequality, disempowerment, sexism, domination, and hegemon. Um, next chapter, education in the service of apartheid in South Africa, 1802-1933. And then the last, last chapter, Education of most worth for Africa in the 21st century. This book looks phenomenal, or it has potential to be phenomenal. Now, again, I have in in in, in reading a lot of stuff. Folks have good titles and have good table of contents. They let me down. I know one book that I picked up, Must God Remain Greek? 
and and it was going through. I thought it was going through a critique of the ontological and axiological reality of African spirituality in the face of Christianity. And I thought he was going to just get into it. Must God remain Greek? And because and, you know he's asking a question. Do we have? Do African people have to deal with God through a Greek lens? That's basically what he's saying. And and and, but then the whole rest of the book is just basically trying to show a black presence within the history of Christianity. And I was like, dude, you missed your call. You missed the bus because. I mean, I might have to be the one to do it because we're too damn, we're stuck in phase two. If y'all been listening to past shows, on getting in and 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 showing how the African system of veneration is different from a Christian or Muslim or Judaic system of worship, and I'm using those words deliberately. But doing it from, again, that axiological value-based and ontological reality-based angle. Folks have tried to do it from the historical angle, but we need to get deeper. And so I'm saying all this to say that that particular book, I was hyped when I bought it, and then when it finally came and I looked at it, the intro was... 70% 70% of the intro was good, and then the whole rest of the book was a bunch of crap. <laughs> so hopefully this one doesn't disappoint me like that one did, but this looks real good. Um, Western Education and Political Domination in Africa, a Study in Critical and Dialogical Pedagogy by Magnus O. Basie, or Bassey, B-A-S-S-E, uh, this may be one of those that's like out of print. You just can't get it nowhere. Um, but I don't know. At some point, I will go through with a fine tooth comb and check out how good this book is, and then go from there. Uh, leave a time for Skippy. We got some time for skipping. Um, you know what? I won't go through all of them because I still got more books here. Those two, a bunch of crap. That's a bunch of crap. Uh, well, not a bunch of crap. Not there. I'm spending money on a bunch of crap. But those two books I got based on three books I got based on just um, African history. And I call them a bunch of crap because I know most of the authors who put them together, who are carcassoids, who are authors who are unfortunately used a lot within African uh, studies programs as far as being able to give concise histories of Africa. Uh, But, again, the best book on the history of Africa that is out now are none. It's called The History of Africa by Malethia Santa where, you know, he it, it's like a textbook, which hopefully now 
teachers will use that book instead of Sage and Curtin and Thompson and 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 Vancina and Vancina and whatever that, and 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 use one of ours and use one of us as far as the history of Africa because all of these books dealing with histories of Africa nine times out of ten deal with first Cosmozoid to get into Africa and what they did versus a history of Africa by African people. And then as a sub-note or footnote, oh, we've got some other people that came in, and here's who they are and what they did and all that sort of stuff. But you got to dig to get a real history of Africa proper. And so the history of Africa by Malithia Sante fits that pretty well, does that pretty well. Uh, another one that could be good that I got I got a few dissertations Unpublished dissertations See they were selling for real cheap And one of them was um, The Making Making the Gods in New York The Yoruba Religion in the Black Community um, One of the reasons why I like that one Is because hopefully It will give some background information Into how Baba Metahochi um, Baba Denny Zulu and um I'm just forgetting some of everything today. Baba Metahoshi, Baba Denny Zulu and the brother who started Yerba Village. How how that interaction went and, and, and the different types of things that they went through, the process that they went through, especially in the, you know, forties and fifties. Um, wasn't really no consciousness, nothing going on at that time. But, you know, those three brothers knew each other. And, you know, from their dance, their African dance troupe, all three of them got led to create, recreating or bringing over authentic African spiritual systems over here to the state. Baba Matahochi was doing it with um, what was revealed to him within the Voodoo system. Uh, for some reason, it's escaping me, the brother's name, who went ahead and started Oyotunji Village. And we know the legacy of Baba Yao and Zulu I and, and him uh, reawakening a Khan consciousness over here in the States. And, and so that's you know, hopefully what will what will be, you know, some of what's in that book. Um and, and just other stuff, you know, but that just that one looked very interesting as well. Um in the sense of attempting to make more sense and getting a better understanding of how we some of us made that transition from Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Eastern systems, all of that, to coming back home to African spiritual system, whether it's Bodu, Ifa, or the Akan system. And, and again, there could be lessons in there, the stuff that they went through in the 50s, what type of stuff are we still going through now, um, what things did they learn, uh, what things did they get wrong, all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, so that one, 
this one I don't think you'll be able to get. I'm, I, I was lucky enough to find it and be able to use it. Um, so, yeah, Making the Gods in New York, Yoruba Religion in the Black Community by Mary Elaine Curry, one of her dissertations that she did back in the late 90s, uh, early 90s, I'm sorry. And I don't know if it ever came out as a real book or not, but could be very, very interesting. I'll skip the rest. To get to quite possibly the biggest load of crap to have been published this year. Now, the first biggest load of crap to be published this year was the Malcolm X book by Manny Merrill. This one might trump that. It's called Life Upon These Shores, Looking at African American History, 1500 to 2008, by Henry Louis Gates. It's being released in time for the European holidays. Um, Hopefully I'll get me a copy earlier, but... For everyone else, it'll be released November 22nd, 416 pages. I'm assuming hardcover is coming out at 50 bucks. 793 full-color photographs in this 416-page book. So... He he started going all out with this, y'all. And I, I, I don't have a physical copy of the book yet, but I did. I do have uh, the marketing thing that they put out for. You know, that's one of the benefits of working in the book industry. As we know. Henry Louis Gates Jr. or hates being black. He would never call himself African. He wrote his his own dissertation and thesis on some obscure eighteenth, um, nineteenth century aspect of European history. And, and and I had it and lost it. Not the whole dissertation, but I had the title, and, and, and I misplaced it. I was like, what in the hell? <laughs> and you, you're supposed to be the head over black studies, but your dissertation was about this? Where in the hell do you where, – where, where does that transfer? How did you <laughs> – but we know they just put him there. To have a counter against Melissa and what they was doing in Temple. Um, Henry Louis Gates, the guy who should have been tased by the white police officer, 
um, for allegedly trying to break into his own house, where he had his one and only um, and fleeting uh, showing of blackness, where he wrote 13 ways to love to see. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure he wrote a book, Thirteen Ways on How to Love a Black Man, where he basically talks about interracial relationships um, should be sought after because it's different and they get to open you up to a whole new social sociological demographic and all this sort of stuff and black women got issues and all this. I mean, he's got a white wife. Uh, he's taken out full-page ads talking against Afrocentricity, against Dr. Clark. Um, most recently, he took out a full-page ad saying 90% of the slave trade was on us. I mean, so I, I, I deliberately have to hold myself back from yelling anytime I see a black person speak favorably of Henry Louis Gates for all of the BS that he has said, done, and written about us throughout his career. He, he, he's also quoted as saying that he um, brought on um, Kwame Apia onto his hall, the dream team, so he could quote-unquote kick Melissa Sante's ass in a debate but then, of course, when Melissa called him up on it and said, all right, let's do the damn thing, Melissa never got a phone call back. I'm telling y'all, Skip Gates is not down for anything black, anything, after anything, nothing. And so for him to be at the forefront of a book talking about our history, I'm happy I'm going to get a free copy. <laughs> Because I know I wouldn't pay 50 bucks for it Because while all the cute pictures Might be wonderful I know his analysis Is going to be some bull he, he He's definitely part of that Black Atlantic Mentality Where 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 we all, we lost all of our vestiges of anything African throughout the travels across the Atlantic, and when we got brought to America, we were completely and 100 percent new people. So of course, that's why he's starting off at 1500. So, so yeah, part one, Origins, <laughs> Origins, ah, 1500 to 1760, then Forging Freedom, 1760 to 1804, um, chapter three, it shall ever be our duty to vindicate our brethren, 1800 to 1834, um now now this part part four, race and resistance, eighteen thirty four to eighteen fifty, 
it's going to be really interesting to see what he defines as resistance. And I'm sure, just like it is Africana piece of crap that I'm sure the boys is pissed off that they did, um, Pan-Africanism as a movement is 110 years old, 111, soon to be 112 years old. Civil rights is only 50, 60 years old. But in his Africana book and DVD and CD-ROM and all that, he gives one page to the totality of Pan-Africanism. One page. It's a 100-year movement, one page. And I think he gave about 15, 20, (laughs) maybe even more to the civil rights movement. Barely anything on the black power movement. And we got to remember, those are two distinct movements, y'all. Civil rights, there was some overlap, some overlap. But civil rights movement, their goals, objectives, and agenda were different from the black power movement's goals and agendas and stuff like that. Got to remember that, and 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 um, but yeah. So he gives hardly any treatment to Pan Africanism, little little bit of treatment to Black Power, but all this treatment to civil rights. So again, Skip Gates has major major problems in telling our history. Um, and this latest piece of crap, folks are going to talk about it and latch on to it like it's the gospel because it's coming from Harvard and it's coming from Skip Gates and it's some bulls. Part five, emergence. Emerge to what? <laughs> 1850 to 1860. Part six, war and its meaning. 50, 1859 to 65. The next one, reconstructing a nation, 1866 to 1877. Chapter 8, There Is No Negro Problem, 1877 to 1895. Nine, New Negro, Old Problem, 1895 to 1900. And in that one, in these next few ones, it'll be interesting to see, because he mentions Garvey, but it'll be You see, again, He's going to have to mention some people. He's going to have to mention Garvey and, and, and Du Bois and and and, and Delaney and, and, and all these other folks. But what this Harvard group is is being very good at is they know that a lot of folks don't do a whole bunch of reading. So if they say it, it's the gospel. So if they can say that Du Bois is one of theirs, if they can say, if they can say that Du Bois, okay, they can say Du Bois is one of theirs and Souls of Black Folk is is quintessential work and you need to read nothing else after that. A lot of black folks end up doing it. But if you decide to read more Du Bois, you find out that he even threw away his idea of a talented pimp for guiding 100. And I hear so few people talk about that. They talk about talented, talented, talented. 
he lived 60-some-odd more years after he came up with the Channel Tiff idea, and he threw away the Channel Tiff idea. Du Bois is very, very complex. But this Harvard group has a way of freeze-framing people to get them to show them in a certain light. And so it'll be interesting to see what they what 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 Skippy has to say about Garvey and Delaney. Uh, they're 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 trying to take over Fanon and just stick with him and his uh, light skins, white mask. They don't talk about rich of the earth toward African <laughs> liberation. Uh, none of those none of his other books. I mean, ugh. the ordeal of Jim Crow, nineteen hundred to nineteen seventeen. Renaissance, 1917-1928, Growing Authority, 1928-1939, The Era of World War II, 1939-1950, Foundations of the New Civil Rights Movement, 1950-1963, The Movement at High Tide, 1963-1968, and I'm... Um, it just then in here, you know, they have a breakdown, a deeper breakdown. I barely see. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, cultural it's, cultural integration, 1969 to 1979, and it's in that chapter where where he's going to slip in some of uh, Black Power because I see he's talking about the Chicago 8, Fred Hampton, Angela Davis, the growth of black political power, other stuff like that. And then the last one, Achievement, 1980 to 2008. This is going to be a problematic book on... So many levels. I have been saying ever since I started almost 20 years ago that I wanted to put together an African-centered world history book. And, you know, and I remember going through some the, the, the beginning phases of trying to do that. And, you know, I eventually put that off because that was going to be a daunting task for an individual to do. And so now Robin Walker um, has attempted to do it, and I think it's a pretty good um, book, now in paperback for 40 bucks versus the hardback for 80 Um that's probably and and and, and the, again like this whole night for some reason the title is escaping me, but Robin Walker oh oh oh, oh when we rule thank you that's that's the title of that one when we rule that one hey hold up that one is probably the best total history that I've come across of us adding Africa in as well. Um, it's a shame that Melissa Asante had even been supposed done like an atlas of African history or something like that beforehand. 
which I thought would be our complete history, and it wasn't. So that was upsetting. So, and and, and there still isn't a good African-centered history of stolen Africans in America. You got to go through and get individual books and piece them together to do that. But a lot of my teacher friends, you know, talk about that and, and lament that there's not one good book that lays out our history from our perspective. We'll do a little over time, but not a whole lot because I'm not fully finished yet. But this Life Upon Our Shores, looking at African-American history, 1500 to 2008, is going to be a bunch of crap. And just like the Malcolm X book, probably all of the Caucasoid press will laud the book and love it, and the smarter folks within our camp will um, hate it and rip it to shreds. But outside of just being able to critique other people's stuff, there are some gaping, glaring holes as far as books are concerned that uh, of stuff that needs to be written that has not been written yet. That you have to go in five and six and eight other books to get when someone could, or a few folks could get off the button and put them in one book. Um, we have 60 seconds if you want to continue with this. 704 uh, there will be a little bit of overtime so I can finish up this train of thought and then we'll play the close and then be done. There will be a show next week. I just haven't been told by the Abbasun what it will be, so bear with me. But there will be a show next week um, as far as I can see now. Um, but, yeah, this this. We, we we keep letting other folks tell our story, y'all. And, and I remember, what was that quote? By Chancellor Williams, he was like, the, 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 the best way to, to, to get your ideas across, and this is a horrible paraphrase, but the best way to get your foreign ideas across is to get someone within the group to spout those ideas. And, and Skip looks like one of us, but there's not enough of us critically thinking to be able to see that he's not us. And since I did all this, I should have said it when we was live. December 5th in D.C., at, at Politics and Crows Bookstore, 5015 Connecticut Avenue, 7 o'clock, Henry Louis Gates will be there to talk about his book. And maybe I should make this announcement leading up to December 5th. If y'all have a question, like let's say y'all can't be there, but if y'all have a question, a good question, I mean, sit down and think about this. If you have a question that you would like for me, because I'll be there, to ask Skippy Gates, hit me up. 
Kamau301, K-A-M-A-U, 301, at yahoo.com. And and I'll go ahead and ask him. Um, I'm thinking about setting setting something up for this season. Uh, if anyone saw, I think it was at Howard. This was some years ago. It's on video. The Howard students brought Cornell West and Michael Lerner to the school. And, you know, they did their talk and their song and dance, whatever, whatnot, black folks, Jews, us all love each other, blah, blah, blah. When that Q&A came, oh, my God, it was one of the best Q&As I have ever seen. I mean, student after student after student just got up and was lighting up in Cornell with some hard-hitting cultural-type questions. I was like, whoa. And so, yeah, I would come to find out, you know, the, the, the group who put it on basically set them up. And they had lined the, the Q&A people with um, our people to ask those point type questions and light the fire under, under his buttocks. And so while I'm not setting up the event, um, we can – do something similar, and and I'm gonna work on that because um, I'm sort of I won't give Corny Corny West a pass. I still think he's a Negro, but if you had to rate it he'd be further down on the Negro list than Skip. I mean, what's that? Um, Pastor Manning and Jesse Lee Peterson, some of those folks are at the top because the stuff that comes out of their mouth is just totally asinine. But it's good that they just come straight. I mean, Jesse Lee Peterson, for anyone that don't know, he has a talk show on, like, AM radio, FM radio, something like that. But he, one show, he came out directly and said, I want to thank the white man for slavery. I want to thank you. Not not on the boondocks and Uncle Ruckus said, no, he wasn't joking. He was being serious. He won, And he went on to talk about why he's thanking, he wants to thank white folks for bringing him. And he, you know, you, you properly castigate and lambast fools like that, but you also have to say thank you. <laughs> because some folks, you know, don't put that foolishness on full display like that. You have to be talking to folks after a while, and then it'll come out. Because there's quite a few folks on blog talk who sort of feel the same way, but they just haven't said it in public yet. But, yeah, so Jesse Lee and... And other folks like that are a bit higher than Skip, but he, Skip is high, high up there. And, uh, oh, while I won't give Corny a full pass, he's still a Negro, he gets somewhat of a pass. He he did at least, he had a, it was supposed to be a debate, and I wish it would have been a debate because I'd love to see Dr. Clark whoop his ass, but 
you can get footage of there's a debate of Dr. Clark and Cornell West, and and um, folks let Cornell off the hook that day, and I'm mad at that. But Skip would have even sat down with the man to have a discussion. Um, Corny at least does have a black wife, you know. Um, he still does try to engage the the, the 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 regular, the common black person, while 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 Skippy, you know, he's all elite all the time, and that's fine. Leave us the hell alone. Leave us fully the hell alone and stop writing all this trash. And so, his interpretation, Skip's interpretation, his analysis of our history in this book is going to be horrible. I guarantee it. Just looking at the subsections that I've read and then looking at the areas he's going to touch on, I can already see. The the, 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 the the illustrations and the plates and all that stuff might be good, you know, stuff we've never seen before and all that sort of stuff. So it might be good to get it just as a reference book. That's that's what one of the elders told me. I was giving them grief for getting some type of book, and I was like, and then he was like, I'm just getting it as a reference book, just for reference. Uh, and that's cool. And, and, again, to bring his name up again, Dr. Kamathi Carr, he, he advocates that too. And I need to get the exact quote, but he was like, yeah, I, I, he was telling the students, use use everybody, use all these folks for their references. And so, so get the book in some type of way and use it as a reference. But your interpretations, uh, we don't need those. We need your resources, what you use them what you had access to, and then we can go and get those and then give the proper interpretations that they would need um, for liberation. Because Skip Gates is fully into this American thing and his white wife and all that sort of stuff. And so everything that's coming out of his mouth is going to be in line with that. He is not going to say anything to cross his Caucasoid benefactors. And for him to even make the statement that 90% of the slave trade is on us shows that he's not that good of a historian. He's just not. I have yet to ever see him make a clear distinction between African servitude and chattel slavery that you that 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 the Caucasoids created, and I could go on and on with that. But um, if you want to ask Scipio Gates a question when he speaks here in D.C., December fifth, seven o'clock, Politics and Prose, five zero one five Connecticut Avenue. Shoot me an email, and um, with that question, and depending on how good it is, I may go ahead and go to the mic and ask him. And I'm definitely recording, <laughs> um, and we'll go from there. But Skip Gates is not a friend of black folks. I don't care how much he tries to look like it. 
he is a pawn of confusion. He's a pawn of Caucasoid deliberate confusion. He's Henry Louis Gates is <laughs> I won't say that. He's an Iscari. He's a zombie. He he yeah, he, he's do not get caught up in the hype of this book. Um, I, I, I'll have to get my hands on it. I want, I, the reason why I'm about to, what I'm about to say is I was about to say, should there be a counter to the book? Because, you know, there, there's going to be a counter to the uh, Malcolm X book. There was the counter to the uh, William Styron BS on that Turner. Um, you know, there are certain books that come out, and they're just so egregious that folks get together and it's like, you know what, we got to write something that counters this BS. While I won't go as far as say we need to write a counter to this, not only because I haven't fully seen it, but the real reason I would say that is because if we're going to write a counter historical narrative solely to counter Skip Gates, we might as well just write an Africa-centered history of us in America period, and in just writing it, it will serve as the counter because based on the culture, I hope you all get this point right here, based on the culture reference you are coming from, that will determine the questions that you ask in your research, which will then determine what you look at and what you won't look at in your research. And so... A history book of stolen Africans here in the U.S. written by Kwame Karuti would focus on resistance all the way through the book from the first time we landed in in in, in, in the 1500s all the way up until now. So so resistance would be a a reoccurring theme throughout the book. Skippy don't really see nothing to resist to. And so he may mention it if there was a big amount of resistance in a particular time. But again, based on his cultural perspective, he can just throw a line or two in there, talk about they were skewed with some racial determinism, racial essentialism, and they hadn't bought, they hadn't been properly assimilated yet, and whatever, whatnot. He could just, you know, he would just right back away. That's why I say it's going to be interesting to see what he has to say about Garvey, what he has to say about pre-Civil War Martin Delaney. Pre-Civil War Martin Delaney. Um, We already know that they have totally tried to take over Du Bois and just freeze frame you into his pre- Soul of black folks' life and forget about the other sixty years afterwards. So, 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 I 
we just need to write our own history from our perspective and let that clean glass stand up against it's going to be a pretty glass. All these nice full-color pictures, that's going to be a pretty glass. But it's toxic waste and and European sludge <laughs> will be in that glass called Life Upon These Shores, 1500 to 2008 by Henry Louis Gates. Um, so when it comes out in late November, go to the library, go to any remaining bookstores, because it seems like bookstores are shutting down, and look at it there. I would not advise paying 50 bucks for it. Um, if, if you know that you're only going to use it for reference, you know, you might need to use some pictures for some project you're doing or something else, okay, maybe then go ahead and buy it in the hardcover edition because we don't know if all of the um, colored plates will follow in the uh, paperback printing of it next year. Uh, but it's, it, it'll just be interesting to see, one, if this book gets some buzz in the black community, and two, what that buzz would be. All right. After Center Book Talk, I hope that I have shared some good information and some good books. Hopefully folks are writing stuff, writing some titles down. And next to it, you know, got to get it, got to get it. Hell no, don't get it. Hell no, don't get it. Borrow from the library, you know, whatever notes you wrote down. Um, hopefully you wrote some notes. Uh, because we went over quite a few books, and then after I started rambling, I noticed I still had a whole bunch more books, and then we just cut it short. Like I said, I do reserve the right to, after I get into and or finish some of these books, to come back and, and, and have whole show or half show or whatever dealing with it. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the Skip Gates crap again after I get my hands on it. Uh, the Armed Struggle in Africa, that one looks real good. The uh, Western Education and Political Domination in Africa, that one looks good. A book that I didn't mention that I got, which is an older book that, again, I've seen a lot of folks reference, but this is my first time actually having it, An Africa-Centered Perspective of History and Introduction by um, C.T. Cato um, from Temple. And I was slipping through it just even on the train. It's a small you know, monograph, really. It's only like 56 pages or whatever, 58 pages, 60 readable pages. But um, a lot of what he's talking about is real, real good. And so this one will probably be the first one. I could just knock this out quickly, and then we could have a discussion about it. Um, And I think he's still at Temple now. I'm not sure. But I, I, I was glad to finally get a hold of this book. Yeah, I need to go to Human Books in New York. Yeah, yeah, I can. Check out what they got. Um, now I'm going to have to make sure that every time I go, 
up to New York to make sure to stop up there to see if they got some other good new old stuff. What I mean by new old is is their old older books, but they're new because I hadn't had it before. <laughs> so they're new old books. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that is it. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who has went to and checked out AfricanWorldAnalysis.com. Now I ask that you, uh, you know, um, hopefully pick up, purchase a few articles, give me some feedback. Not articles. Purchase a few of the news journals um, and tell me what you think. Give me some feedback. Share it with your friends. The overarching umbrella of all of this is is a comp- my, my company called Bole Kaja Enterprises. Bole Kaja is a Yoruba term for come on, come on down, let's fight, bring it. And um, basically, we would like to create a liberatory media wing for Africa-centered thought. So when you go to AfterWorldAnalysis.com, that's the first page you'll see, Bola Kaja Enterprises, and you'll see the link for Africa's Reascension to the YouTube and here to Blog Talk. So we're, we're, we're trying to do the audio and working on the video arm of Liberatory Media. And then Afterworld Analysis, and the book, How to Make a Negro Christian, are the imprint versions of liberatory media. And uh, hopefully there will be more additions to uh, the Bole Kaja Enterprises wing of liberatory media for African-centered thought. And we got a whole bunch of ideas, a whole bunch of ideas. Now it's just about and getting the time and website HTML know-how <laughs> to pull off some of this stuff. We got to do it. We got to do it. Okay, so I'm going to stop rambling. So thanks, everyone, that's, that's checked out AfterWorldAnalysis.com. Uh, keep checking back. Like I say, in November, I'll go ahead and add on some of the other older editions some real, real good newsletters are in there, yeah. Um, all and all of the older ones are about three to four dollars. Um, again, thanks to everyone who has uh, supported this show. Africa's Reascension has been downloading them. Um, I still want to give a push and a plug for two shows that I still, for three shows that I still don't think have the proper downloads that they should, the shows that we did on irreconcilable realities, the shows that we did on the deep structure of culture, and the lecture show where we played the lecture of um, Baba Jacob Carruthers on the deep well of African culture and spirituality. I want everyone who hasn't already to go back through and download those shows. Those are critical, 
critical shows. And while y'all are loving the organizing stuff and loving the maroon stuff and and and, and really loving Niame and Shay Shay stands to be an African. Those three particular shows, um, I think, are, are, are linchpins, are, are crucial bits within the knowledge base that we have to get down, that the, the, the downloads aren't properly uh, showing their, their crucialness. And, and maybe I need to do those shows again, but from a different angle or in a different way. Or maybe I just need to re-listen to them again, and maybe I said something, did something wrong. I don't know. But but y'all sleeping on those particular shows. And and Dr. Carruthers is a master teacher as well. He was a contemporary of Dr. Clark, contemporary of Dr. Ben, contemporary of John G. Jackson. He they they all ran in the same circles. They, they 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 all together were founders of ASCAC, the Association for the Study of Classical Civilizations. So if you go know and love Dr. Clark and know and love Dr. Ben, you really, really should know and love Dr. Jacob Carruthers. He's written The Irritated Genie, uh, a good book about the Haitian Revolution. Uh, he... he Help edit one of the first books of the from one of the from the ASCAC conference, Kemet and the African Worldview. Uh, he's written uh, Intellectual Warfare. That was the last book that was published by him before he passed. But for me, his best best book was Medunetsu Divine Speech. Uh, where he talks about the the um, ah, African deep thought. There we go. And, and 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 there's not a book out there like it to this day. We could have a book discussion. We would have to have. We could have a book discussion on Metanature Divine Speech, and it would take at least six weeks to get through the whole book. And six weeks might just be being nice because it's just that deep. It's just that deep. But um, so I'm saying all that to say that go back and check out um, Dr. Dr. Carruthers, Dr. Jacob Carruthers, if his work. Actually, well, I got a little bit of time left. I forgot. <laughs> I also got the DVDs when I was up there too. And I may work on, uh, like I did last time, creating the audio of it and then doing a show so we can share. And so speaking of Dr. Carruthers, he's got one on the history of the educational system towards Africans, African people. Um, when he was real young, so this was this this one is good to see what he was talking about when he was more spry in his in his age. Um, that looks like that's going to be a good one. I got one about that. Remember, I need. Why do white people do what they do? 
But this one, while that's while that's the focus of it, and she's talking about Yururu, um, I'm really gonna hurry up and 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 transform this to audio so I can have it as a lecture show because just how we talk about we're uncompromising and unapologetic. This particular lecture by Dr. Marimba Ani is probably one of the most unapologetic lectures that I have ever heard anyone in our camp do. It's it's phenomenal what she's laying down, but also how she's laying it down. And she's got some African drumming going on in the back while she's giving the presentation to create an African ambiance while she's breaking down the information. I mean, this one, I'm, I'm halfway through with it, and it's it's uber powerful, and we're going to have some discussions on this. But the people who put it together call it Why Do White People Do What They Do? Maybe a better title for it, I don't know, but that one, y'all, we will hear about in the future. And the last one I picked up was The Works of Gerald Massey by Dr. Charles Finch. And just briefly, because we're about to go, I am a fan of Dr. Finch. I do like his work. Echoes, Echoes of the Dark Land and Shadows and something, something. I forget the exact titles. So. I am a fan of Dr. Finch. I like the fact that he has pretty much taken it upon himself to uh, keep Gerald Massey alive in the in the, in the in the minds of black folks. Gerald Massey was a carcassoid, but we we've had a whole bunch of shows talking about Gerald Massey and all that sort of stuff, so I won't rehash that. My critique with Charles Finch is that he's a Catholic. And his Catholic mentality blinds him into fully and properly understanding Gerald Massey. Fully and properly understanding Gerald Massey. I have an unverified quote from Dr. Finch which says that after reading Gerald Massey, I have become a better Catholic. Unquote. And if that's a true quote, from my reading of Gerald Massey and from most other folks I can think of who have read Gerald Massey, in total or in part, would concur that that was a misread on Finch's part if he feels like he's a better Catholic now. And so I deliberate, and I could go on, I could do at least an hour dealing with my critique with Fitch in regards to Gerald Massey. But this is what I'll say. I purposefully got this DVD just to see what he's saying about Massey in a video form because I got it in the book form. I think in the last chapter or one of the in, – in, in, the, in, his, in his, one of his books, he has a whole chapter dedicated to Gerald Massey all that sort of stuff and how his works relate to us and stuff like that. Charles Finch is in phase two 
wrapping up Parkazoid ideas and putting them in Kente cloth. Catholicism ain't from us. Black folks on the continent, black folks who are Catholics tend to stolen Africans who had been forced into Catholicism can sort of latch on to it a little bit more because of all of the different rituals and a lot of the rituals and, 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 and having a high ritual experience is something that's very African in the sense of you know, for folks that know, there's rituals going on down there all the time within African existence. And so Catholicism, which, as we've stated and will continue to state, stole image but did not steal meaning, stole symbols but did not steal meaning. So they stole a lot from Africa, African thought, in, in this formulation of Catholicism slash Christianity. But like we say, they did not understand what they were stealing. And they didn't steal wholesale what we were doing and just whitened it up. And so we just go back and blacken up, we'll be doing the same thing we were doing to Kemet. That is 100% incorrect. And I got this DVD and another book. That, that I'm not going to share <laughs> because I may have to take time off from this other research project that I'm doing to fully go headlong into shaking us up from phase two where we're at and just thinking if we blacken up Christianity, it's okay. And Fitch may be. misleading some folks if he's saying things that other folks have said that the per M. Heru is today's Bible, if he's saying that Heru is today's Jesus. If he's saying stuff like that, then someone needs to respectfully call him on the carpet on that. If he's saying anything close to that, he needs to respectfully be called on the carpet on that. And Kamala Casey and Hootie and a few other folks are <laughs> those folks that will, will do that. And so I picked up that DVD with that in mind. That in this okay, in this other book um, dealing with Black Liberation theology, because that that phase two is really messing us up. And and and. Um, If you don't know what phase two is, again, AfricanWorldAnalysis.com, one of the free issues is issue 28, and that's where I lay out the whole beginning um, paradigm that I'm talking about. But, but phase two, and just thinking we can blacken up stuff that's not ours, and so we don't have to know what we were doing because... They just stole it all from us, and so we just blacking up what they stole from us, then it'll be okay. And as I keep on saying, until somebody hears me, I'm going to keep saying it, all of our great accomplishments and all of the love for Africa that we say we have, 
came from the time when the idea, when the thought of the Bible, Jesus, Allah, all of that, was not even thought of and had. All of the greatness of Africa that we talked about is pre-Christian, pre-Islamic, pre-Judaic. Somehow we forget all of that and we mysteriously latch on to the greatness of Africa and then do the Christian thing and do the Muslim thing or do the Jew thing, the Hebrew thing, and all that other sort of stuff and 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 just completely block out of our minds that when all this good stuff, the pyramids and egalitarian living and, and, and male-female parity and, and, and women could walk around with no clothes on and not have to worry about being raped, you know, all that sort of stuff, when that life was going on, they forget that that wasn't, there wasn't a word, nothing, no jig, no Bible, no nothing. They were living as Africans. We were living as Africans. They forget that. And I could go on now, but I'm going to shut up now. I almost forgot about this DVD, so thanks for letting me share. And we will have more lecture shows. But I don't want to do a whole, whole, whole too many yet because we got to go back at some point soon and walk through some of these lecture shows so we can get some more information, some more analysis about the shows that we've done. We've done um, the interview that Mama Rimba did on Yurugu, and we've done <clears throat> the um, Dr. Jacob Carruthers, um, Jedi Shimsu Chihuzi was his African name, uh, in the deep well of African culture and spirituality. Um, one or both of those, we may need to go back and have a show and go back segments of that and replay them and analyze them and break them down. But we will also add to that lecture, lecture, scholar lecture series that we've been doing as well. We will also add to it, but I want to add too, too much to it until we also go back through some of them and break them down. Okay, so now I'll shut up. So, Ladasi, um, check us out next week. Um, Abibi Fahodier, Total African Liberation. You bet income them, we will be victorious. See you next week. of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work and they will lose their control. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.